0: Hi, everyone. Heather here. Before getting into this episode, I would like to remind all of our listeners to please fill out the listener survey that we have up on our Instagram in our bio. We would love to hear your thoughts, feedback, comments, opinions about how this podcast is going and how we could improve from here. Hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Debate 101 series of This Housewood. Today, we have Noah with us, but we also have a special guest, Ethan Fortes, who will be talking about the current state of the debate system and also some potential ways to improve the system. So, Ethan, do you want to give us a quick introduction?
1: Yes, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be on this podcast. I'm a big fan of the work that you all do. And... um I'm really excited to discuss some of the trends that we're seeing in debate today and some potential ways that we can make debate a bit more accessible, a bit more, uh, you know, offering more opportunities to debaters across the country.
0: Awesome. So I've heard that you've also been debating and coaching as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so I started debating at UBC in 2010 and I started coaching for the first time in 2014 and I have been coaching ever since. I've coached at different academies across uh, the lower mainland. I have uh, done Debate Camp Canada a few summers, which was a lot of fun. And now I run my own debate class called Debate to Learn or DTL, um, which uh, focuses and primarily focuses on beginner debaters and getting people started in their debate careers, which I find very
2: rewarding. So would you say that this is typically people who don't have debate programs at their own school or people who are looking for a step up? Or um, what would you say is the demographic of who you're coaching?
1: That's a really great question and kind of hard to answer. I have... My students hail from all different schools and different backgrounds. Typically, what unites them more than anything are the networks that they're a part of. Either their friends have joined the class, or their parents are friends with each other, or their siblings involved. So it's hard to paint a clear picture, but um, I'm really happy with the community that we have in our group.
2: That's awesome. So I guess what I'm wondering then is how do you foster that community? What are the ways that you structure your program that you maybe teach in the classroom? What are the values that are different from what you might see at other coaching environments? So like I mentioned,
1: I think it's really important to focus uh, on giving beginner debaters a space where they can really explore and learn the foundations in a non-competitive, non-stressful classroom environment. And that I think, contributes to the community that I see fostering with between my students. And I also think it's important to include parents in this as well in some ways, that um, parents are often eager and excited about their children's debate careers, and having open and honest communication with parents can also be good when possible. I often, you know, I realize that it's not always possible to uh, liaise with parents, but when where it is possible, I think it is something that can improve a debate class.
0: So is this the general trend that you see in the debate community right now? Is it generally more of like a community, like a cooperative between students, coaches, and parents, or is it run a little differently?
1: So I think that um, most of the listeners will probably recognize that debate isn't as cooperative and collaborative as it maybe used to be. And starting as, you know, I'm an old an old person in this community, um, when I look back at how the debate community was run, you know, 10 years ago, it really looks different from how it is run today. It used to be that high schools would have You know, extracurricular debate programs with teacher sponsors. And then there would be volunteer coaches from local universities who would come out and run debate workshops and teach the kids how to debate. And then whether they would come back regularly or just leave the teachers with an understanding of how to use debate in the classroom, debate was pretty much accessible to most schools. And over the past ten years, maybe especially in the last five or six years, there's definitely been, and I think everyone's seen it, a trend to privatization of debate coaching and the rise and growth of private academies across the lower mainland, especially, but I think also across debate communities, you know, worldwide. And I'm concerned that the accessibility as well as the you know uh, nature of Debate is changing in ways that are not for the better.
2: I mean, that's something that just I anecdotally have seen growing up in debate. Uh, I guess I've been involved. I started debate in grade seven at the age of 11 um, in 2010. So I started debate in Alberta. I went to a public school. Um, I I mean, I don't mean to gloat, but I did very well. And public schools in general went pretty toe to toe with private schools Um, Now, I'm not going to be so, I guess, blind to say that there weren't access issues back then, too. But I think at least in terms of the kind of paying for coaching or paying for private coaching model, there was a lot less of that in that circuit. Um, And when I entered university and I saw the Ontario high school circuit, especially since starting university up until now, I've really seen exactly what you talked about, Ethan, which is... Um, More and more schools are um, hiring private coaches and also more and more people are paying for private academies. Um, There's so many of them that you can choose from in Ontario now.
1: And if I can just add, I think that this is not inherently a bad thing. The fact that more and more students are getting eager and want to participate in debate, that there is more market demand for debating, is an indication that this is something that we should be putting out into the community and there should be debate opportunities. But my concern is that when it's privatized, it's inaccessible based on socioeconomic status. That's one thing. It's also inaccessible socially as well. A lot of the time, people just don't have the connections in with, you know, debaters and friends and people who have enough experience in the community to kind of get their footing and feel like they can join. Um, and I noticed that a lot of young debaters have a very eager outlook on the competitive parts of debate. And I want to be very clear here. Debate is... A, is in in some ways, competitive by nature, but it doesn't have to be all competitive. And the, you know, the spread of like competitiveness culture in debate is something that I think makes it actively worse. And here I want to say that I think my philosophy about what debate communities should look like is we need to consider debate communities as communities, not like a market where you go and get service you know debates coaching services from a coach who you pay money and then it's over now you're a good debater debate communities thrive when everybody involved is participating that includes judges that includes parents it includes older debaters pro-amming or coaching or you know judging younger debaters we need to consider that in order to create a community that is both accessible and offers opportunities we need to consider that participation is not optional, and it shouldn't be done exclusively through the market.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. Like, especially now, it feels a little bit like a tutoring system, right? There's like a teacher, and then like all the students kind of are essentially clients rather than like participants. I totally understand that. So it sounds like your whole idea is quite like revolutionary. Like, is there like anything like that you think needs to be done or you want to see more of.
1: I wouldn't go so far as to say this is actually that revolutionary. Because if you go back in time, not too long ago, the debate community ran this way, where high schools would, you know, with with a sense of, you know, uh, uh, congeniality and co- collegiality would, would, would invite other schools to come debate with them. You know, it was a lot less uh, stressful and people had a lot more fun. And I think that the amount of fun that people are having in debate, I don't think is as high as it could be and as high as it used to be. Um, And that in itself is something we should be concerned about. The other thing I wanted to say, I completely agree with you that we're looking at a very tutor-like system. And I did some tutoring uh, before, and it, it does feel very much the same. The problem is that unlike with tutors... Debate coaches are not gods with answers to questions. Debate coaches are just people who have experience debating. We shouldn't think about debate coaches as like people who have the answers, but rather facilitators of a debate, a convener of debate, someone who makes the debate happen um, and teaches people how to bring their ideas into the debate formats that we use.
2: Uh, Yeah, the tutoring element is definitely something I've seen a lot of. In fact, I... I mean, full disclosure, I work for a private school. I have privately tutored some of my students at that school. Um, but even I've been contacted either by people that I know or high school debaters that I know asking for more tutoring. And it does, it does kind of feel like they look at you as somebody with the answers for debate instead of somebody who can I guess, teach them skills that are more useful in life. And again, that's not a criticism of the drive that they have, because it is a competitive drive. It is something they want to improve at and they want to learn. But I think in a lot of ways, it's reflective, although maybe not the cause, but reflective, at least, of this really big hierarchy we have in debate about um, having social value and having Um, The value of the activity centered around doing well, centered around um, respecting people that are very, very good at the activity and only caring about what they have to offer, Um, which, of course, the more inaccessible debate is, the more the top of that hierarchy and what they value will reflect people that had the privilege to access that space.
1: Absolutely. I completely agree. I think that um, issues of clout definitely play a big part in some of the issues we're seeing in debate. The fact that some of the most elite debaters have basically free reign to make any argument they want without anybody feeling like they can criticize them, that the most established, you know, uh, coaches kind of end up being more like thought leaders rather than, you know, facilitators and teachers is something that I'm concerned about. And I completely understand why someone would feel so drawn to, you know, admiring and looking towards uh, competitively successful debaters as role models for how they should be as debaters. And I think that people who are elite debaters should be mindful and cognizant of the fact that young young impressionable debaters are looking to them for a model on how to act. And when we reinforce notions of hierarchy, reinforce notions of better-than-thou debating, um, it really is something that can cause a lot of long-lasting harm to our communities. But the interesting thing is that if you actually look at debaters who we would consider competitive, competitive-like competitive elites, those debaters a lot of the time didn't come from this ultra-competitive high school circuit. They often came from more accessible, open debate communities facilitated by teachers, by volunteers, by volunteer coaches. Um, And if you think about it, a debate society, like a, a, a large university debate society, only needs to commit a small number of its members hours in order to like, you know, sow the seeds that can create debate accessible to everybody.
2: So here's something I want to post to you then, because I completely agree. And I want your opinions on some models I've seen of different universities. So a lot of universities right now, especially in central Ontario, the way that they're addressing this access issue in high school is they have outreach programs as part of their executive. So they will try to have volunteers go to sit in and lead a class or two um, and set up programs at new schools, What's your reaction to this? Like, do you think it's enough, not enough, misguided, in the right direction?
1: Well, it's definitely not misguided, it's uh, a foundation of debate countless debaters had their first introduction to debate by having a university debater come by and run a debate workshop with the teacher to teach them, you know, the the foundations and then maybe come back one time to run around and then after that you can basically have a self-sustaining debate community within that school. So I don't think that this is a new idea and I think it's really, really important. But the reason why we're seeing it happen less and less, I think, is because debaters are already starting their undergrad degree as coaches they'll be hired as a coach for the academy that they worked for or so that they were that they studied in in high school and so they're not available their schedule is full they have already committed to six ten hours a week of coaching plus you know all the extra work that comes with that report cards etc etc that it just it's not that there isn't demand and it's not that there isn't in net, networks and infrastructure in place but that we're finding a dead end when it comes to actually getting people to volunteer and commit their time to these things.
0: But playing like devil's advocate a little bit here, though, like, wouldn't you think like as a graduate student or as like an undergrad student, I was thinking that I would probably want to teach a high school because I actually get paid like monetary like, compensation. Right. But then for outreach and volunteer, it's like, yes, it's great but you don't get that compensation with it. So do you think that is one of the barriers towards like less and less like outreach programs for instance?
2: Maybe I can say something here first cuz this is just a general thing that, you know, is outside of just debate, but when we talk about what it means to have free tuition for university students when they don't have to work for their living, like this is, you know, far down the list of improvements that would be made if university students didn't have to work while they were studying but one of them would be that this pressure wouldn't exist to the same extent um so that's a that's a financial pressure that exists that is not something that is unsolvable but is maybe outside of the scope of just what us debaters can do yeah
1: Thank you, Noah. And thank you, Nicole. It's an honestly, it's a really challenging question, because it is true that a lot of debaters who need to make ends meet during their time as undergrad will, will find themselves coaching because it pays the best compared to anything else that they could be doing at the time. Um, and I wouldn't I'm not knocking like I wanna be very clear here. I commend every debate coach who's out there coaching. We need debate coaches. We need people to be teaching people how to debate. This is an essential pillar of the debate community. My concern is that right now the debate community lacks a sense of duty and responsibility to volunteer where volunteering is possible. And I wouldn't discourage people from coaching or working for, uh, you know, an academy. But at the same time, the only way we can guarantee a debate community that gives everybody access is to foster a sense of responsibility and duty to the community that you came from. Like it might not feel like this to the current, you know, high school generation of debaters, but debating as an institution was upheld by a like free and accessible open and collegial community that we need to come back to we cannot keep if if debate remains almost exclusively privatized for many more years. This is what's going to happen. We're no longer going to have teacher connections with university clubs because they're going to lose faith and say, I guess we just won't reach out to these communities. And instead, who knows, The schools will have to start playing the private market game and start hiring coaches um, and competing with private academies. But private academies um, are priced at a point that is inaccessible to most schools. So it's not... the C- continued privatization of debate is not going to be a solution to what needs to, to the problems that we need to address.
2: And I'm really, I'm really interested in that kind of duty and how it seems like it's almost intention with um, the financial obligations that you as a university student have, but a lot of people won't give up their time. Uh, and I think that this is really visible in terms of how it manifests as a high school access barrier in university-run tournaments in a lot of ways, right? We could talk, there's lots of great things about uni tournaments, there's lots of not great things, same with provincial board-run tournaments, etc. But I remember, um, you know, I've been in university debate and involved long enough to see this whole discourse emerge about lowering costs to the absolute bare minimum so that anybody at university can afford to compete and anybody of any socioeconomic status can afford to attend Worlds. But what that comes at the cost of, and something that I've always had kind of a weird feeling about that I didn't love, was the way that schools make their money to make things accessible for university students is to charge ungodly amounts for some tournaments. I mean, harthouse included, right? Like I, U of T is not absolved from this, but to charge huge amounts that pushes the barrier of accessibility down to high schoolers so that now the generation of people entering university debate is those high schoolers who had the ability to pass that financial access barrier right so people who could afford to attend hearthouse high schools can now go to hearthouse and are experienced and can do well and that's a i think a really big barrier that people that stems from not thinking that you have a duty to care for the circuit that you're leaving behind and not having a duty outside of your own university absolutely
1: i think we need to open our minds a little bit wider to consider that the the things that are holding back the debate community, the things that people will often bring up like, oh, it's too expensive, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, it stems from what we consider to be good debate. The truth is, especially at universities like Harthouse or U of T, debaters aren't willing to give up their time in part because they're burnt out, in part because they're going to so many tournaments in a year. They're burning themselves out by spending a lot of money and, you know, making a big carbon footprint to travel to a whole bunch of competitive international tournaments where they can get huge, you know, improvements in their debate skill. But does that trickle down to everybody else? Like, we know that trickle-down arguments are not the strongest. And so my concern is that the reason why people don't have time to commit to, you know, or to invest in the next generation of debaters is because we have a culture now of the only way to be a capital G good debater is by participating in... In a hyper-competitive debate circuit. And I think we need to move away from the notion of, you know, competition for competition's sake. Competition has its place in debate, but so does collaboration and cooperation. We shouldn't consider, for example, our opponents to be like the bad people that we need to beat in every single round. A lot of the time, in fact, maybe most of the time for new debaters, your opponents are the people who you're going to learn from. You're going to hear an argument that decimates your case and be like, dang, that was a good argument. I'm going to put that in my back pocket and save it forever. We need to honor that in debate. And remember that competition is part of debate, but it's not all that debate is. And this competitiveness is really uh, choking the community of the skill and talent that it needs to, to really sustain itself moving forward
0: yeah and i completely agree with you here like i feel like the competition should take place like during the rounds themselves but like after the rounds and like before the rounds it should be collaborative like people should talk about different ideas and like concepts and things i completely agree with that And actually, I think this is a really good place for us to wrap up our very first segment of the Debate 101 mini-series with Ethan Fortes. So Ethan, thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to further speaking with you about the whole idea of increasing accessibility in the debate system. Please follow our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, as well as our Instagram at THWDebatePodcast. Thank you.